You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 48. I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I, and it's so nice to have you with me again, Brian. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. That's right. And then we sink our teeth into it, chew it up a little bit, and whatever we spit out, we're hoping resembles (laughs) something that's really, really awesome. (laughs) And uh, what we like to call literary, literary gold. gold. Yes. <laughs> Masticated story ideas. Awesome. Absolutely. Let's put that in the brochure. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian, you don't sound sleep deprived. No, no. Um, I think it's because I, I've hit that point beyond sleep deprivation. <laughs> He's pushed through. I think they call it delirium, but I'm not positive. Oh, God. And this is you're gonna, this is perfect. Excellent. Like I said last time, having a delirious Brian to workshop episodes is fabulous. <laughs> how, okay. how is young master Aiden and, and oh, Mama? How are they doing? They're doing fabulous. He's so funny. There are moments where he looks like a gnome and other moments where he, you know, looks like a human being. Um, <laughs> he's, he's starting to get a chubby face, which is great. And he's just he's, he's hilarious. He's a ball of fun. Yeah, just like you, my friend. Just yes. like well, you. F- fun and poop. But. <laughs> okay, not just like you. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope not. Is we'll that how people line. see me? Yeah, yeah. No, let's not go there. Let's not go Ah, dude. Well, good. I, I know so many of our fans have, have written and inquired, where's Brian? Hope Brian's good. So, so speaking on behalf of everyone, just... We'll continue to welcome you back to the show time and again until it's like back to old hat again and we got Brian. So Yes, well, I, I appreciate that and I'm very grateful to to those who say they miss me. <laughs> I, I don't know what they're talking about, but, you know, uh, that's right, it's, it's very you, sweet of them. You've been gone for, for a month in, in daddy land. I know, uh, but crazy. you're back and you're better than ever. So, so let's let's uh, let's roll on, shall we, sir? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's bring back to the big chair, author of Shadow Ops Control Point and the forthcoming sequel, Shadow Ops Fortress Frontier, coming out in the end of January. Just a few more days, friends. Master of counterterrorism, cyber warfare, and federal law enforcement, and chomper of Baskin and Robbins fudge crunch cakes, uh, Mister Mike Cole, <laughs> dear sir. Welcome back, and thank you, man, for for coming back and helping us workshop a story. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so Fortress Frontier, give us give us the goods, man. When's what, what's what's the story? Uh, the story the, the story is uh, what how people when they're faced with a situation that they are totally not ready for find the find the strength to to step up to it and handle it. And uh, I won't lie, it is it is. The, it is absolutely the story of Rourke's Drift, um, where a uh, British officer uh, who was an engineering officer who was out there to survey a bridge suddenly found himself in command of 150 convalescents facing 4,000 Zulus oh, um, and managed to hold on and win. 
and uh, I think that there's something to that in, in a lot of science fiction and fantasy stories. You have Frodo taking the ring to Mordor against hopeless odds, you know, hundreds of thousands of orcs between him and the cracks of doom, and uh, yet he manages to do it. So I think that that's, uh, that's a story that's uh, near and dear to fantasy readers' hearts, and, and hopefully I put a new spin on it in Fortress Frontier. Outstanding. And it, that hits the shelves when? January, on or around January 31st of, of this year. Outstanding. Of 2013, 2013. Outstanding. So, and now, and you're already in deep, knee deep, hip deep into Breach Zone, the, the third book, right? I just finished a fourth draft uh, on, the, uh, on the flight back from Dallas uh, yesterday, and I'm now reading through it one more time, and I'm hoping that this is the uh, version that's going to go out to my agent. Excellent. God, awesome. So and cool. that would be then coming out later in 2013, or are we looking at 14 for that? 2014, yeah. It's going to come out a year after Fortress Frontier, so it'll be on around January 31st. Yeah, that's like the Lord of the Rings movies. They come out every year, and, and bam, there you go. Like, like clockwork. <laughs> how, and, and, and what a shock that Mike Cole is going to hit it like clockwork, baby. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, Mike, yeah. normally we ask our, our guest hosts you know, what conventions you're attending, and they give us you know, one or two or whatever. Um, I've been following you on Twitter, and, and I'm just going to ask, you know, give us the top five in the next <laughs> month or so, because uh, there ain't enough room on the web post for all the shit you're doing. I'm going to Confusion in January, which I'm really excited about because we're going to do the author D&D game again. Oh, sweet. uh, Yeah, really excited about that one. I know we're going to have some of the star players that we had last time, including Peter V. Brett, Saladin uh, Ahmed, and Pat Rothfuss will all be there. And then I'm going to uh, be also be hitting Boscone uh, in February in Boston. I'll be hitting um, Lunacon in March in New York. I will certainly be hitting Balticon in May. Awesome. Uh, New York Comic Con I always go to, so if you want to meet me at a con, there's, there's plenty of them. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, anything, I mean, uh, certainly that's enough, but is there anything else going on in, in Mike Cole's life that we need to know about? Uh, I'm, I'm, hopefully uh, I'll have some very good news to announce very, very shortly. I'm still trying to wait for someone to, uh, to take the muzzle off me. But in the meantime, I'm doing a, um, uh, hopefully when I finish... Uh, this draft of Breach Zone, I've got about a novella, maybe, or a novelette, uh, which I had a lot of people talking to me about wanting to see the Shadow Ops world from the Goblin's point of view, or to learn more about the Goblins, so nice. I've written a, uh, cool. working on a novelette to, maybe it'll be a novella from that perspective. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited, yeah. And, and I don't know, I mean, there's not a lot of markets for novellas out there, so I, I've... I'm kind of debating the idea of, of foraying into self-publishing with that one or trying to kickstart it or something just so I can have the experience of being my own project manager and hiring my own artist and, and doing all that stuff. I was going to say the the ebook market was made for novellas. So, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, well, we'll see. You know, it's funny. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I've always whined and complained about self-publishing. Like, I don't want to be my own copy editor and my own... Right. So, you know, this would be kind of it would be kind of a cool experience to to put the money up myself and make a really professional product and then see if I can make my money back. There you go. Sure. Yeah. That would be awesome. I know, Mike, you got two guys right here right now who would totally buy that. Yep. So, All right. So there's like three bucks in your pocket right there, dude. <laughs> I'm definitely going ahead with it. <laughs> Get on that. Get on that now. Ah, awesome. Well, Mike, we will make sure that all of that fabulosity gets tucked neatly and tidily uh, and like clockwork into the post uh, uh, and uh, so all the fans can, can, can get in on all the Mike Cole goodness that's coming up. Right. Um, 
But, uh, gentlemen, what I'd like to do right now is take a, a brief pause and give some precious uh, airtime to another awesome podcast or fabulous ebook or novella from the Goblin point of view, uh, uh, or hint, hint, nudge, nudge, and or uh, a charity or a Kickstarter. Holy smokes, there's all kinds of stuff that we can promote, and by golly, we will. But when we come back, we're going to workshop a story. Sound good? Sounds, Sounds like a plan. Awesome. I like it, too. All right, friends, you yes, guys yes. don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The voyage will be dangerous. It may involve fights with temple ships, and it will almost certainly offend the sensibilities of the current administration of Major Major, as well as the priestess and her, um... What did you call them? Pet lizards. You had him at dangerous. The Guild of the Cowrie Catchers, a novel of pirates and Panamandora. You made me sad, Gerard. Come back. Come back, and maybe I won't make so many things bleed. Written and narrated by Abigail Hilton. Book four, Out of the Ashes. A Grishnard, a Foxling, a Leopon, a Leon, an Ocelon, and you... A half-breed who acts more Grishnal than he looks and brought a plague upon his last allies. A forbidden book. Wayne, for a smart person, you can be pretty stupid. I don't know anyone else like that. No one asked your opinion. A pirate prince. Polivar, what are you doing? An idea. His time has come. The Guild of the Cowrie Catchers. Find the story at cowriecatchers.com or subscribe in Podio Books, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher. Silvio? Silvio? Let's go change the world. Lords and ladies of the round table, welcome back to the podcast. We're sitting down with Master Mike Cole, and from the sound of things, I haven't heard any of this yet, but I know that Dave is chomping at the bit because our writer has a pretty amazing story, it sounds like. So what do we got, Dave? Well, not only does our writer bring an amazing story, our writer himself is pretty darned amazing himself. Uh, he is actually the younger and, and more autistic set of twin brothers. Uh, uh, now, Brian, do you remember your favorite book back in kindergarten? Um, sure. Like, like, you know, Curious George or something like that? Yeah, it was one of the, like, the little monsters ones. Yeah, okay. Well, for our guest yeah. writer, when his kindergarten teacher asked him what his favorite book was, he said, The Hobbit. Nice. <laughs> in kindergarten, yo. At the age Sweet. of 14, he decided he wanted to be a writer. Uh, uh, and that he needed to start writing. Interestingly enough, in high school, during a poetry competition, he took first, second, and third place, which pretty much affirms that decision to be a writer. Uh, he majored in English at Gustavus Adolphus College, 
But in spite of that, he's actually still managed to write uh, about a million words so far in the form of five novels, as well as uh, a science fiction e-novella called Trash, which is available on Amazon. Uh, uh, he used to be involved in writing communities a fair bit now, but now he just lurks at places like mythicscribes.com, which is a fabulous place to lurk, I can tell you personally. Uh, he's traveled to Australia, India, and Malaysia uh, at different times, uh, and <laughs> he's a huge miniatures war game geek, going so far as to actually sculpt his own miniatures. Wow. So, please welcome uh, to the writer's chair here at the roundtable, the aptly named Tim Niederreiter. Tim, welcome to the roundtable, man. Thank you so much for bringing a story for us to workshop. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. Definitely. Now, dude, The Hobbit in kindergarten? <laughs> seriously? Yeah, seriously. It was, I think it was my twin brother, May have said the same thing, actually. I don't remember what <laughs> well, his Well, you're twins. Was. That's how that works, right? Yeah, exactly. So, but you were you were digging The Hobbit at, what, three years old, four years old? Uh, That's pretty early. Five. Yeah. Did you, well, actually, it was five, I think. <laughs> Did yeah, you read it, or was it read to you? Well, it's... Actually, see, that's the, that's the thing. It was read to me several times, and then eventually I was reading it myself when, by the time I went to kindergarten. Wow. Dude. That's awesome. So you you were bit early. You got your gateway drug at the age of five, and you were pretty much doomed at that point. Yeah, and then I started miniatures game. Well, I started role playing gaming, and <laughs> you know, kindergarten itself. There, Who were was, you playing with? Uh, there was a pickup game on the playground. One of the older kids was, <laughs> was running D anD D on the playground. He'd sit on the sidewalk and. Holy crap! <laughs> That's amazing. I gotta, I gotta hit the kindergarten. No, I don't. They're just no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's edit that part out. Yeah, let's let's do that. Idea. That's that's not gonna earn me any any grace with the local <laughs> local law no. enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, let, let's let's jeté on to Coolsville and and get on to to Master Tim's uh, story. Um, Tim, we're going to give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, the format. Is it going to be a novel, a novella, short story, series of novellas, whatever, graphic novel? Uh, uh, introduce us to the world. Introduce us to the characters. Give us the basic signposts of the story, and we'll roll into the workshop. So, Tim, the mic is all yours, man. Oh, thanks, Dave. So the, <laughs> <laughs> so the title of the story is Rem.Dream. It's a, it's a YA fantasy slash cyberpunk novel. The logline I have for this story is a teenage dreamer must face her nightmares to protect future Jerusalem from a cor corporation planning to use nightmare monsters to conceal their wrongdoings. Thematically, the story is about duty. The world is, is 23rd century where humanity has discovered dreams true power. Translation of energy to and from the dream world allows for not only the ultimate in networking, but also for interstellar travel. Rare humans, most commonly girls, who have lived in the dream world longer than normal, awaken to powers over dream translation as teens. They are called dreamers, though knowledge of them has only come to light in the last quarter century. At the same time, all of humanity has been forced to contend with nightmare monsters who seek to invade the stabilized dreamscapes in which the humans dwell. The Volunteer Defense Force was formed to combat the nightmares and as many dreamers as agents. And so on to the characters. Main character, Rem Logan, is a dreamer afraid of the nightmare creatures she's faced before and in the BDF. She wants to prove she can be a leader in spite of her obsessive compulsive disorder and her fear 
and she thinks exposing the mystery that's central to the story will help her, you know, gain recognition and advance a bit. And she's assisted by her friends Safa, who is another dreamer in the VDF and is skilled and reli- and more reliable than Rem, uh, and is ta- already taking on additional duties. Fiona, who is the daughter of an executive from a corporation and a VDF dreamer as well. And then uh, these two, then there are the two private detectives, William Ketterly and Erasmus Coyle, who are trying to hide from the from a major corporation that illegally modified them with the ability to alter dreams translation, basically. Um, yeah, Coyle is attracted to Rem. He's he's the older one, and Ketterly is very young, and he just really wants to hide. Uh, the main antagonist is Michael Vane, the CEO of Hendelin Dreamware. He wants to cover up his failed experiments on nightmares and isn't above criminal acts to do it. He's hired a mercenary group to destroy a translation pylon, which is where we lead into the story, and which I've outlined in three acts here. Act one begins when Rem finds clues of someone trying to sabotage a new translation pylon near the outskirts of the city. She is told not to investigate further by her superiors, so she secretly hires Ketterly and Coyle to look into it for her. Act 2 has Rem and her allies looking for clues as to who wants the pylon destroyed, whether human or nightmare. This leads to Rem exploring the city's darker side more and more. She is onto the truth despite Hanlon's attempts to cover it up, but is going so far that her superiors in the VDF aren't comfortable with her actions. Finally, Act 3 sees the pylon destroyed, and Rem has to go into the dream maelstrom to find out what, what Hanlon was trying to hide which is a secret lab, which contains illegally modified dreams in humans, including nightmares, well, dreams including nightmares, that can translate over to the physical world. To save her career, Rem needs to bring back proof from the collapsing dream. Yeah. Dude, really? That, okay, now, okay, we, you, 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 you still have time. Oh, I still have time. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I can fill you in a little bit. Now. I was going to say, give us a little more on Act 1 and 2 and, and 3. Go ahead and flesh that out a little bit. you got okay. like another so, three minutes at least. Okay. Uh, you, you were rocking, man. You, you were going one, so fast, I actually was writing really small for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so your pen doesn't have to move as far. Yeah, yeah the, the faster you went, the smaller my writing got. Okay. That's oh, how, I, I do believe that's how Carolingian minuscule was invented. Scribes <laughs> <laughs> trying to copy Charlemagne. Fast-talking right. senior yeah. monks. All right, so 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 Tim, <laughs> tell us more about Act One, Two, and Three. Yeah, so th- in Act One, I expect there. Uh, I sort of imagined this beginning with Rem on a patrol, and then she gets, and the clue is almost is a very direct clue. It's sort of. Uh, you know, she's fighting off nightmares because the pylon isn't working yet. That's kind of the thing. The pylons protect from the nightmares, and this one isn't fully operational, and so she's driving off some of these creatures when uh, there's another dreamer who she can't recognize who appears on the scene and clashes with her, And but she, she manages to save the pylon at that, at that time. Well, and, then, you know, of course, that leads on to the second act eventually with the hiring of the detectives, who are more, you know, they're they're trying to they're looking at the side the, the less than legal elements, you know, more than Rem is able to because she's kind of a, got that she's kind of a police officer in a lot of ways, uh, you know. So I'm not sure if I'm going to see perspective from them, and I'm I, that's one of the things I've debated a lot. Anyway, the dark side of the city is where you know obviously the city is this is Jerusalem, so we're talking a, a very large conflict. It's not that far in the future, and I don't see it as being a 
you know, I don't see it as being very realistic that they could resolve the conflict there totally. And, you know, I don't see how it could possibly happen anytime soon. So we're looking at, you know, there's the religious and racial tension, all that stuff, but also the, you know, the more modern side of the crime angle and the fact that the city itself is really, it's been split into two cities in some sense. There's the city that's in the dream world and the city that's in the real world. So, uh, okay. And then third act. And the third act is the one that I'm actually pretty sketchy about at the moment. I know, I, I know I want it to involve more of the, more of seeing these, the, the corporations and how they interact with the, the military forces or paramilitary forces th- that uh, protect the cities and so on. Other than that, I, you know, and I, and obviously there's the, the character drama needs to build up substantially. Sure. Right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, so. Tim, there's, there's rich storytelling food here. So, yes. so good pitch there's, and, and I know there's gonna be questions and that's part of the process. And through yeah, those questions, we'll discover all kinds of stuff. Um, let me ask you, Tim, what are you hoping to get specifically out of this out of this next 45 minutes or so? All right. So the things I really want help with, they include the ending, but it really it's really the entire plot. I don't I have a world. And I have a lot of rules that I've made for it over the years. It's several years old uh, as, a, as a world. But the story is not firm in my mind yet, really. OK, OK. And anything else? I mean, that of course that's going to lead character, to character uh, arc and story, so on. Character, yeah, character is really where story comes from. If I, if you ask me, so okay. that's kind of what I mean by that. I guess it should have been clearer. Yeah. All right. No, that's cool. That's cool. And and yeah, interestingly enough, that's exactly what we do here. So uh, you've come to the right place, <laughs> sir. Um, but before we get into that, we we need to cover our ass. So Brian, would you be so kind? Absolutely. So, Tim, uh, in bringing your your story to us, um, we're definitely going to be tearing into it and doing things to it that you never imagined possible and probably never would want to imagine. <laughs> and so anything that we do, you're more than welcome to call bullshit and toss aside, and you are under no obligation to use anything that either Dave, myself, or uh, Mr. Cole throw at you. Cool with that, Tim? Um, very cool with that. Awesome. Very Excellent. cool. Well, we, we always start off with a quick turn around the table to get first impressions and some questions of clarification. And it is our custom to start with our guest host. So, Mike, uh, first impressions of Tim's story idea and any any questions of clarification to help you get a good handle on it? Well, Tim, uh, uh, I, uh, I think Dave and Brian both know me well enough to know I'm pretty scotch with my kisses. I don't. I don't give out a lot of compliments, um, but this is a fantastic idea. Uh, I, I think it's very original. I think it fits very well with the YA setting. Uh, I think it's extremely compelling, and I'm kind of bummed that one of the biggest problems I think that a lot of new writers have is they come up with fantastic conceits, but then they aren't able to build a story around it. And the fact that you have this great idea, but you don't have a plot um, is is may be indicative of that, and I really hope that, um, that that's something we can fix because I, I think it's a great idea. And I think a lot of the mechanics you've described, um, it just sounds like the kind of book I'd want to read. Um, so I have a lot of questions here um, <laughs> and some notes. Uh, but the, uh, the questions I have, first of all, is um, uh, does, do the, does the main character in the, um, in the Dream Defense Force, this Rem character, have uh, capabilities in real life, or is she a weak girl in real life whose ability, um, not to imply that girls are any weaker than anybody else, but you did say that she was a young girl, um, 
uh, is her and is she strong only in dreams and weak in real life? Yeah, the well, the, and that's that's I, I actually am flexible about that. But the way the way I conceived of it, she, they, the translation ability allows her to translate to basically create objects in either world, in the dream world or in the real world. So she's I, pretty much strong in either world. Yeah. I, I uh, um, so if, if if I got to write this, I would want her to be weak in the real world and strong in the dream world. And then you're asking about um, the third act. I would want the third act to be that somehow she's cut off from the dream world. Uh, and has to fight her enemy in the real world where she has no ability. Um, one of the things I think that makes uh, stories really, really effective is that they raise the stakes, raise the stakes, raise the stakes. Have you seen um, High Noon with Gary Cooper, the 1952 film? Afraid not. Um, could, I, could I get you, Tim, to, to go rent that? Because it's exactly what I'm talking about. I won't ruin it for you, but the long and short is you have a protagonist who he the the situation just for him just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and at the end it's completely hopeless and he pulls it out strictly by dint of his amazing personality and and will to live and I think you have an opportunity to do that here especially if you make Rem really powerful in the dream world but in the real world just a normal you know 14 year old girl and not even a particularly athletic one at that um, and then you have the double whammy of having your readers identify with her because most of us are not super powerful people. And then you can have in your third act, you know, something stopping her from going into the dream world to do what she needs to do and having to face people in the physical world, which would, I think have a great recipe for drama and tension. Sure. Sure. Um, well, you could, you, you could even go into multiple POVs cause you know, the notion yeah. of going into the dream maelstrom is really kind of intriguing, but having your primary protagonist because the pylon is disrupted. I mean, maybe her, maybe her powers are linked to that pylon without that pylon. Boom. She can't go in. So you can have that wonderful geeky world building revelation of what's inside the maelstrom. But the real meat, as Mike is saying, is your protagonist has to find the strength without the powers and find that strength within, which I agree is fabulous. That, <laughs> that really ratchets up the, the, the value and, and the merit of your, of your protag. That's awesome. And then um, a couple of other, uh, and by a couple I mean a shit ton of questions <laughs> and comments here. Um, uh, I don't like the name Michael Vane as an antagonist. It just seems so over the top. Uh, I'm thinking of Obadiah. <laughs> who's who's the guy? Who's the bad guy in, in Iron Man? I'm so embarrassed. I don't remember. Obadiah Stane. Yeah, Obadiah Stane. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so uh, Michael Vane is perhaps a, a bridge too far. Uh, and then. Uh, Having it set in Jerusalem, uh, Tim, do you have a dog in the in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, or is that I do something? Not. Yeah, then then you why? know why why bite that off, man? Because that's an incredibly fraught thing, and all if you if you if you take that on, uh, you better you better do it really really well. Otherwise, because now your readers instead of coming to your story with um, you know, just their excitement and passion about a cool story are now coming with an agenda to a politically fraught, a highly politically fraught and incredibly polarizing issue. Why do that to yourself unless you really want to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian con- conflict? Tim, Why did, you, even- did you have, a, did you have a, a reason for that? I guess I wasn't – not really. I guess I wasn't thinking about it. Okay. Uh, it it, it struck me – yeah, it struck oh. me kind of like in Pitch Black where they're going to New Mecca. Because didn't you say New Jerusalem? Cyber Jerusalem. But they're the same yes. city. It's built on the same spot. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I just uh, – I mean why, why, why do that? I mean it's that 
I'm not saying it couldn't be done well, but but um, yeah, and we can put that on the table as as yeah, a, sure. as, a, as a big question mark because sure. right. you know we might be able to weave that in. Who knows? All right, so a, a bunch more questions here. Uh, how? So if you die in the dream world, do you die in the real world? Ooh, no, actually, I I was thinking it was usually you'd wake up, but it, it you could be turned into a vegetable. I think per, presumably. Well, yeah. actually, this, Mike, Mike has actually kicked off a question. I know Brian has and that I have. We need to talk a little bit about this whole dreams equals power in this world thing. Just very, right. very briefly. I don't want to riff on the whole world building thing a lot. But but when you go into the dreams, do you like go unconscious and wake up in dreams? It, yeah, exactly that. Okay. And then the, but the thing is then with the pylons that they allow them to do is they build objects and they're able to like eat in the dream world and that transfers energy to their physical body so that's where the energy that's the that's kind of the sci-fi element they have these machines that allow them to make that possible okay and, and how does that affect how does that manifest uh uh star travel and and how does how does that become a brokerable power in the real world okay see because they're able to because the dream world responds to the real world in some sense it is it's almost like if you you know, Warhammer forty thousand. They have the 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 warp. It's a lot like that. But the spaces you can alter them in the dream world because you're dreaming. But then when you get to the, your destination, say for interstellar travel, you've altered the space. It's a lot shorter, and then you can pop out and you wake. You basically translate back. You translate your ship back, your whole ship, because you can translate energy. You can translate matter. So you translate the whole ship back, and boom, you have yourself a. A space colony. Okay, I'm a nerd, and and I I'm, I'm, I love this <laughs> ship, but I ain't getting it. So if I, I, I only get it. I only get it because I'm a Warhammer 40k fan who knows how the warp works. He's he, he, yeah, I, I get it, but he's not doing a great job. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Uh, so I mean, energy and matter are the same thing, correct? I mean, that's right. physics. Gotcha. So if you can translate energy, you're essentially encoding your ship into a dream. That's that's how it works. You encode your ship into as a dream. So the ship appears in the dream world, flies its distance there, comes back. So there is a physical translation from the real world into the dream world. Exactly, yeah. They, they translate objects. They translate people. It's all – I mean they generally don't translate your physical body because then you can catch some Zs you know, and you dream naturally. Okay, so, so these ships Zs. are unmanned. Generally, yes. I, I'd say so. Okay. You know, Tim, I think, I think it's really important that you limit – I mean, I got the space travel thing. That's cool. But this definitely needs to be highly, highly, highly circumscribed, well-described, have definite edges, and, and be limited. And because right. you, yeah. otherwise you run the risk of um, – Overwhelming. Create, not just overwhelming, but creating a magic system which prevents you from holding your protagonists really at risk. Yeah. That's a good All point. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, a couple more questions, Mike, real quick. Yeah. Um, what do the nightmares want? Oh, I see. I, and, I think, the th- and, and oh. do not say that they just want to kill everything and destroy everything because <laughs> that sucks. Well, they they want to drive people back, humans back into the into the physical world because they can feed on them when they're sleeping normally. They cannot feed on them when they're not, when they're yeah. awake, essentially in the dream. Okay, so uh, is that it? That was the main thing I had considered. Yes. All right. So let's let. There needs to be more. Either the humans are maybe they bringing the equivalent of smallpox into the dream world or they're, you know, they're, they're doing something more. I, I find that it's fine to have bad guys. Um, but uh, you know, just, we want them out so that we can feed on them. 
is uh, the, the bad guys need to be more understandable and more sympathetic. But honestly, dude, that's an easy fix. Yeah, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe maybe there's a dream sickness that humans bring with them since they discovered this technology. Maybe they're I don't know, upsetting the balance in the force, just encroaching on territory. Yeah, something yeah. dream. Real I guess estate. maybe that, and that that occurs to me. Maybe that's that's probably why I was thinking of Jerusalem when I was thinking about this because the dream real estate's a real deal, and so that's why it was conjured that whole. Uh, okay, that whole mess. all right. Okay, I got you. I got an idea, but I'll, I'll, I'll table it for now. Mike, what, what, one more question, and then we'll, we'll pass on, because I know Brian has the same questions you do, and I do as well. So. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, that, that's good. Um, I, I have some th- uh, one other big overarching thing, but I think we can get to it later, and that is like, you really have not talked really at all about the interrelationship between the characters and, uh, and character arc. And obviously that's the most critical thing in any story. So we, we definitely have to hit that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know we will. <laughs> yeah. Brian, what do you got for first thoughts and, and questions? Holy crap. That's my <laughs> first thought. Um, yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I think is it seemed like um, act two, I didn't write anything down because I wasn't really sure what happened in act two. I know that her hiring the detectives to look into it, that was kind of a remnant from act one that moves into act two. And it almost seemed to me like, because you were kind of hesitant and you said, oh, maybe, like, I'm not sure if I'm going to do their perspective or not. And I think that Rem needs to go into the dream world in Act 2 rather than wait for Act 3. Um, well, no, she so goes into if the dream she, world right off the bat. Does she? Yeah, she's attacking, mm-hmm. She's defending the pylon that's in the dream world. That's, oh, that's see, what I, thought, I thought she was in our world defending the pylon. So no, I just I got confused. All then. dream so that's, construction. That's, okay, good. That's my bad because I was afraid that that you were waiting until Act Three to really dig into the dream world, and I wanted that to happen a lot sooner. Um, and then I, you know, I, I I do totally agree. Well, I shouldn't say totally. I do agree with Mike and Dave in terms of the you know she has this ability in the dream world. She doesn't have it in the real world. But I I personally I love it when they manifest it. You know, so like she's got it in the dream world. She doesn't have it in the real world. She's put in a position where she has to, you know, of her own cognizance or whatever, um, be able to to fight off whatever's whatever's coming at her. Um, But kind of like in in the Matrix before they screwed it up after this, where suddenly he just like realizes that maybe I can do this in the real world and turns around and he stops the things. But it takes so much out of him. And I that I just I always dig that. And I think there's this really cool element of of that heightened fantasy and um, it just, it gives me a massive adrenaline rush. And <laughs> so that's, you know, I, I, I would want you to do that, but you know, everybody's got a different way that they, that they would go about it. Yeah. Um, my, my big question right now is um, the detectives. Cause when you talked about them and again, I may have missed something, but it sounded, you, did you say that they were hiding from the corporation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they, they don't sound terribly strong they almost sound like kind of they're just sort of bumbling around doing their own thing um and so i don't know enough about them to really know what what is the point of them if she's going around doing everything that needs to be done why does she hire them in the first place and what do they really bring to to the story and then you mentioned her friends i think safa and fiona and yes then i didn't hear anything else about them either and so i don't really know you know who are these other these um you know, peripheral characters, how important are they and, and why are they there? Uh, we need, we need to figure out what Rem's story is and then we'll yeah. figure out why Safa and Fiona are there. 
Right, but what what I'm saying is if they if they are pivotal to the plot, that's going to add to her story. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Okay. I so. I guess I I cut the presentation down a little much because I was <laughs> kind of nervous about it. Better too little than too much in some cases, but in this case, no, that's that's cool. And we we can we can flesh out that's what these questions are for. Uh sure. and, any other questions, Bry? No, 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 that's it for now. That's okay. first. All right. Yeah. Um, for, for myself, the fact that this is YA is so very, very cool. Uh, the fact that it deals with dreams and that somehow dreams are power totally, uh, uh, makes me go insane. That's fabulous. Um, uh, and, and I've got ideas, uh, about the ending and about, let me, let me just put this out there. Uh, uh, let me, let me ask this first, um, space travel. Does it figure in at all to the story as you see it, Tim? Right. No, not I, I wouldn't say so. And I'm actually really considering cutting it already. Now okay. That I think about it, cutting let, that ability. Let me propose an alternative. Um, and, and, and I just want to put this on the table. And if we want to run with it, fine. If not, we can find an alternative. But um, the, the notion of, of dreams, I, I put down in my notes, dreams equal power. Uh, and in your initial description, it was, you know, temporal power. But what if dreams equal actual power? Uh, uh, that what these pylons are doing, what this technology does is it, it, it breaches reality to that, that supernal level where things are all archetypal and funky and they have power. And by latching onto them, siphoning them, draining them, maybe the, these pylons actually translate to a clean, nearly inexhaustible fuel source in the real world. Like Monsters, Inc. Uh, yeah, very much like Monsters, Inc., in, in, in very much in that respect. You're not going to be able to avoid comparisons to that movie, so I wouldn't even don't, – don't, <laughs> don't try to be different from Monsters, Inc. Those comparisons are going to get made. You're doing something different here. Okay. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. All right. That actually is a – I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. Well, and, and the because there. then what that brings in, what that brings into play, if you've got this supernal archetypal realm, then the reason this is happening in New Jerusalem, it doesn't have to be Jerusalem. It could be any place that has a density of highly charged memories and people because mm. that area in the dreaming would have a lot of mojo. So New York City, Chicago, any urban center that has had a lot of history, uh, 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 any religious area, any place that, you know, libraries, holy crap, the, the, the power in the dreaming of a library would be amazing. Uh, uh, and, and, so, and then what you've got is maybe these dream things are trying to defend the supernal realm from humanity's leeching and draining of these, these relics from, for their society. Uh, uh, into our realm, and that's you know. Initially, Rem thinks she's on the good side. Maybe she's not on the good side. Maybe maybe this technology isn't good. Um, you could also then get kind of a black market thing where Coil and Ketterly maybe aren't necessarily PIs, but they're 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 dream thieves, uh, uh, mm. and and they work with some sort of energy siphon that's off the grid. Uh, uh, and illegal because it's tightly regulated, stuff like that. I, I'm. What do you think? Does that have legs sure. at all? I think it sounds. That sounds great. Okay. I, I actually like that a lot of that stuff, uh, especially the element of the dream of the the memories in the dreams and so exactly. on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And and the power. You know, there's there's knowledge. There's information there. Maybe maybe 
the, the initial thing was, ooh, we've got mojo, we've got electricity, we've got fuel for our hover cars and blah blah But then people start realizing, oh, no, wait, there's more here. If we can go into the dreaming, we can actually sift through this stuff, and it becomes like an intelligence-gathering operation. And, and maybe that's where the bad guy comes into play. I don't know. I'm going to stop talking now and pass the mic back over to Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we need to talk more about the characters. Um, yes. And I, um, I think, again, Brian, uh, Brian, uh, Timothy, I think you have, uh, you have an outstanding concept. You have, a, you have a really good conceit. And I think you might even have a plot, uh, or at least <laughs> the, 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 the glimmer of a plot. So go over again with us uh, uh, what the what the characters uh, talk to me about Rem's stake. Now you said this was about duty, uh, and after I went teehee and covered my mouth, um, uh, let, let, let's you know I'm not hearing a lot about that duty to what uh, you know has she failed before? Like I mean, what does she really want? What's her history? And and more importantly, what are her relationships with the other people in the story? All right, all right, yeah, that's I, I, have, I have actually a fair amount to say about that. So Rem, the reason she was sort of traumatized when she was a child by this nightmare apparition, and I mean, like in the and originally this was either, this was going to be in the physical world. There's this thing I totally left out because I forgot, and it's, that's awful. I forgot a key part of the story. <laughs> but uh, where she's with her, she was basically home alone watching her younger brother when she was like you know ten or something, and then this nightmare materialized in the physical world and destroyed their house because that's what the things, and I'm not sure if, but that's the thing. I was not putting that on the table because I wasn't sure if I wanted the, the nightmares to be able to do that, to be able to be, to be translate back to our world, which is something I, I kind of, I like that. There was an original part of the setting. I'm not sure if I'm going to allow that, that that right rule. Um, anyway, so she had, she has obsessive compulsive disorder, which is, I mean, I, Personally, I'm a, I'm autistic, so I see. I, I wanted to write a, a story about a character that had some kind of disability that wasn't mine, some sort of mental disability, because I feel like it'd be cheap to use mine, uh, my own. Uh, and so she, but she's seen as unreliable by her superiors in some sense. There, so she's not been, she's not likely to be promoted, and that's right. Really, kind of that colors her relationship with her friend Safa, who is more of a the golden girl kind of thing. She's trying. She's got a better shot at getting promoted and stuff and b- making more money and not, among other things. I don't know if that's, if that's really the main thing. Okay. There's it's a couple of, there's a couple of things I'm hearing right off the bat. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tim. Um, no a, couple, a couple of things I'm hearing right off the bat. Um, Rem needs a reason to want to be promoted. She needs a reason to be ambitious. Maybe her, she's, it's a family legacy. She's following in her father's footsteps or her mother's footsteps as a dream warrior or something. And she's never been as good. Um, I love the idea that she's traumatized by a nightmare early on in her life and that the, the, somehow the story has to culminate with her having to face that fear of nightmares. Um, but it's up to you to find a way to make that trauma real. Like that nightmare early on has to really cost her something. And, and that, and that um, what it costs her has to manifest in, in her relationships with other people and how she plays out throughout the book so that the reader understands that you know, this, is, this is a thing that hurt her and continues to hurt her and that she has to strive to overcome. Um, uh, I love the idea that Safa is a golden girl and is doing well, um, in the service and that she, uh, feels weak by comparison. I think that there's some great gold to mine there in, 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 in the realization at the end of the book that, you know, she really is what, what, what makes the best, 
you know, member of this core that Safa for all of her appearance of being really good isn't what is really has to be offered. A good uh, point of comparison is um, the movie Starship Troopers. It's not so much so in the novel where the um, where the main character in the mobile infantry he just looks like a total screw up, and this <laughs> dazzling pilot uh, who steals his girlfriend is the sort of paragon of military virtue. And by the end of the movie, you realize that we don't need you know paragons of military virtue. We need trash talking fuck ups who are willing to pound the dirt and get their get, get their the nails dirty. Done. We right. need Rico's. We need Rico's roughnecks. So um, I think you have a, you have a great opportunity to to do something like that here. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks, Brian. What do you think? <laughs> I, I was just enjoying listening. No, you got to participate. <laughs> Come on, tell us about Michael Vane. Tell us about the bad guy. Yeah, well, you know, I, what that's that's what I need to know. Like, what about him? What is what is his what is his point? What is he doing? He his company was was actually this will also go to the detectives a little bit, right? Okay. So, because his company was there, they were uh, you know test subjects or whatever from his company trying to create. Because as mentioned, and I mentioned this very briefly, almost all of the dreamers who have power in the dreams are are female. Almost all young women, and uh, the dream, the the corporation, the Dreamware Corporation or whatever that they run, that Vane runs or whatever his name ends up being, is uh, uh, you know modified their minds, their brains, and so on. They create AIs and stuff that that dream. That's one of the other things they do. They create AIs that dream. Which is bizarre in that it's like, and I actually haven't run on very much of that. It's kind of an off-the-cuff idea. So the the detectives have that stuff going for them. But anyway, Michael Vane, he wants to cover that up because it's not legal to modify dreams in that regard. They can make dream, I mean, which actually is, is a sketchy ground anyway. Because So, I, so I, the I'm AIs sorry. are illegal? The AIs are, the, the, the dreaming AI is probably illegal. I would say that's pro- that's almost definitely illegal because it can create its own because it feeds the dr- the nightmares and so on essentially because it's a sleeping AI. Hmm. I don't know. I know. I, I think I'm that's bad. got legs, but but let me let me chew on that a little bit. Go ahead, Brian. Right. Well, uh, another thing that I'm that I'm kind of got caught up on in a good way was you know you're talking about how she's traumatized by sort of a nightmarish apparition and I'm, I'm kind of I'm feeling this you know these nightmares coming through and us perceiving them as ghosts or as um, spirits because we don't know what else to call them like general public you know oh, yeah. maybe yeah. doesn't quite understand that um, and then if there's like this particular one that comes through and really traumatizes her I'd like to see her have to f- either face it again or consistently fear that she's going to run into it every time that she's in the the dream world or the nightmare world oh that's a, that's a great idea i love that idea yeah. well and and i'm i'm thinking you know uh, we're talking about what is she who is she what is she about so so and, I, and i'm still working on some of the fringes of this but what if what if <laughs> it, during that attack that nightmarish attack uh, uh she's touched by the nightmare and and she's inevitably anybody that's touched by a nightmare is is tainted bad meat uh they're they're doomed to insanity and madness you just you just write them off in fact there's an asylum there's there's a special place there's an island where you put people that are touched by nightmares because they're completely deranged and dysfunctional but rem is not 
somehow she's managed to integrate the horror and the the disassociation of reality. She's still broken, but she's functional enough that she can pass. You know, she doesn't need to tell anybody that she's been touched by a nightmare. Oh, oh, I I got a variant on that. Go, go, go. Um, Which is that um, uh, nightmares are only... Are, on, are only drawn to certain people or there's some social stigma attached to having a nightmare attack. Um, right. And, I, and, and uh, uh, but if you can still pass these certain hurdles, then you, you know, you can join the, the, the force or whatever. Yeah. Um, and she passes them and she joins, but now she's got to deal with the fact, like, it's kind of a blame the victim mentality that, uh, mm-hmm. that for some reason, something about you calls the nightmare. And that that's what's and then you're bad because of it. That's right. You're outcast. You're unclean. And Safa, who ultimately defends underdogs, and and that might be a generalization. We need we can intim, we can intimatize it more. Uh, but Safa sees Rem and sees the abuse that she's taken uh, uh, from the other cadets as they go through training, and and bonds to her and says, "Back the fuck up." You know, maybe maybe Safa's mother was taken by a nightmare. You know, and she's shipped off to this island or whatever uh, and has sympathy for for Rem. And so she's taken her under her wing, uh, something along those lines. So you've got the reason why this golden child is defending you know, and can even be a mentor uh, of sorts to Rem as she goes through this. Oh, hmm. that's that's some some good ideas. I'm, I'm liking this a lot, actually. Now, now what changes. if what if she saw something? In that vision, she's touched by the nightmare, uh, uh, whatever, but she saw something and it plagues her. It's an image, an icon, a building, whatever. It only, ex- we don't know this, but it only exists in the dreaming. And for the, for her entire youth, all she's doing is researching dreams and dreaming. She, you know, maybe, maybe she's a prodigy in terms of dream technology. Maybe she works for Michael Vane as a researcher and goes too far with her research and, and violates some social taboo and, and, you know, is given the, you know, we're going to jail or you're going into the, you know, God, that's starting to sound like, it's starting to sound like a troll point. (laughs) And I I think you just aged her a little too far beyond YA. Well, that's a good point. And that also, you know, raises a good point that, that Tim, you've set up a culture where youth is very powerful. Indeed. In this culture. And I, and I think, that's going to take some leveraging in terms of the effects that's going to have on society when we're allowing, you know, 10 and 12 year olds to literally take up arms and defend our interests in the dreaming. I mean, they're, well, they're, they're soldiers we, now. We have a great example of that, which is Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. Good point. Yes, right. exactly. Kind of that. If yep. you want an example where that's done right, there's a book where it's done right. Yeah. Review that. Yeah. That That's definitely it. Have you read that, Tim? Yeah, oh yeah, it's my it was my favorite book when I was a teenager. Ah, okay, good. Then then there you go. What were you going to say, Brian? Well, uh, another thing is uh, we're we're kind of playing with and and Mike brought this up like why are the nightmares coming through or what is it that they want? And you know, it was kind of bantered about a little bit that um, you know, they're maybe they're defending their territory, maybe they're doing this or whatever. Um, but I think that that if you're going in this direction, they have to we have to have something an energy or a power or something that they're able to cultivate in a similar manner to what we're doing to them or something that they, that that if they get it from us, that's going to create a threat in addition to. Yes. 
You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. the, the more that they collect from us, the more dangerous they become. But because we need this energy source, we have to keep this uh, this sort of portal open. Well, what we've that, done that I is mean, allowing more of them through. We've we've established that you know we've set up these pylons and we're drawing energy from the dreaming into the real world. There there right. would then have to be an analog of energy from our world going into their world. And before these pylons, they you know once in 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 a decade, uh, a nightmare might gain enough power to to cross over and maybe claim a beachhead and feed off of a certain realm. Hence haunted haunted. Uh, uh, houses or or or, or right. evil places in the world or whatever you know werewolves whatever blah blah blah. But now that we're actually pumping energy out, by the same token, we must be pumping energy back in, giving them power and and they want to reinforce. I don't know. They want to reinforce that somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Help me, guys. Well, and 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 the whole concept of like a haunted house, I think, works perfectly because just in our our basic human nature, we move away from those places, even though our interest is peaked and we're kind of drawn to, to daring ourselves to go explore them. But we, we pull away their energy source once they've established it. Yeah. You know, yeah, because yeah. nobody will, wants to live in a haunted house. And so they, they continuously have trouble gaining that foothold that they need to fully manifest in, in our world. And um, oh, you could, um, you could also use the, uh, nightmare goal thing problem that you have as a way to further develop this antagonist who right now seems kind of one-sided to me. And it could yeah. be that there's something he's doing in the nightmare world, some kind of mining of nightmare resources or, or some kind of experimenting on nightmares that is, is raising their ire against all of humanity. Um, right. Because they're not able to distinguish between him and, and the rest of us. Well, I love Maybe the he's idea. even enslaving them in some way. Maybe. I yeah. love the idea of the creating AIs that dream. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's got a lot of mojo there, and maybe maybe what what's happening. I don't know. Um, what, what if there's something about a repetition of dream that fucks things up? You know, because every time that we dream, each and every one of us is so different that our subconscious steers the dream in a totally different way than anybody else. But the AIs are replicating a dream, and that's screwing something up. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. exactly yeah. the same dream over and over. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Hmm. I can see that. One one side thing that just occurred to me is um, uh, Coyle and Ketterly. Uh, uh, if if you know haunted houses and so on and so forth are uh, uh, you know sort of less desirable sources of access to the dreaming energy. Maybe that's where they go. They go to haunted houses. They go to old ruins. They go to the evil places and, and capture that energy and sell that on the black market. So they're like archaeologists and, and uh, um, uh, thieves and rogues and, and, yeah. and knowledgeable people, but they work at the fringes and, and they're off the grid. Uh, and maybe they discover something, uh, uh, because they're off the grid, that that ties into Rem's ultimate goal of finding out. You know, what do you guys think about the the the, the notion that Rem sees something and she's driven to find out what it is, and having that tie in ultimately to you know maybe it's like a prophecy, maybe it ties into Michael Vane's whatever Michael Vane's doing. That's the key to that, and and unlocking that will bring him down somehow. Does that work? Mm. Eh, maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still processing it. Give okay. me five more minutes. Mike, I, I Mike, do like the idea of, of something pulling her, though. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be some sort of, sort of pull. Mike, what are you thinking? 
I, I, you know, the overall thing I'm getting from this, Tim, is I, I almost think you came, you came to the workshop too early. I uh, think like you didn't have enough, you don't have enough on the ground to the point where the three of us are sort of sitting here and almost writing the story for you. Um, but I don't mean that to be discouraging. Um, I really am excited about this. And I think that if you, if you do the work, you know, and look, in the end, that's what it always is, right? But if you, yeah. if you and you have a lot of great suggestions here. But um, you clearly have the font of whatever uh, the certain je ne sais quoi of cool ideas and a sort of dramatic sensibility. I mean, the fact that you picked it as a YA with largely female protagonists, I think, is, is sort of in, very intuitive and very um, uh, sensitive to, I think, I don't know. I, I just I think it's a great idea. I think you have a lot of the groundwork in place. And I think that if you if you do the work and you really sit down and you think it through in terms of, what the character, you know, lay out each of your characters. What does each one want? What are their relationships with each other? Um, and, uh, and how do I make those things interesting? I think you, you really, you really got something here. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. and I think that if you, um, if we were to have had this, uh, same podcast, like a month later or something with you having a lot of those pieces in place with a more crystallized plot. Um, it's funny. I, the one time I was on this podcast before, uh, was with a, a different writer, John Walker. And- John Walker, right? And uh, I was a little rougher on him, um, but uh, but he had a more crystallized story, so there was things for me to more to get my my hooks into. But I guess the point sure. I'm trying to make here is is I know that in my own experience, when a bunch of people sit around and 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 give me stuff, especially when it's helpful stuff, part of me is like, wow, yeah, that's really cool, and part of me is like, fuck, man, that's, this is going to be a shitload of work. I don't want to deal with this crap. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and I'm guessing that that's part of what's going on with you right now. And I, I think what I'm wanting to say is, uh, do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I think yeah. there's plenty of people who, um, who don't have ideas that are this good. So, um, I think, I think that y- y- you probably hit the workshop a little early in this case, but I do also think you really got something here and to the point where, um, I'll say that when you've really got something and you start having, um, sample chapters uh to go or uh, or an actual outline uh if you want to email me me, oh thanks um, i would love to love to take a look at it that's awesome that's very cool i'll just send those (laughs) well and and let me let me go ahead and they're ready let me let me throw in and just make more work for you tim um (laughs) i think the story's too short oh Uh, yeah i i think i think now that we we have an idea of of Rem a little bit, or at least one idea, one possible of infinitudes, but just from the ideas that have been tossed on here, you know, I would like to see Rem's story from the point when she's touched by a nightmare, yeah, and then goes through the trauma and and because you've got such a world, you got this huge world peopled with with dream energy. It's the twenty third century. There's there's a subculture there. There's a culture of youth. Um, and, and there's a lot of, lot of mileage and to avoid info dumpage and, and just to let us get our hooks or let you get your hooks into us as far as your pro tag, uh, starting her off at that inciting incident and then walking us through her life, uh, might actually be intriguing. Maybe not that early. I don't know, but, but well, I mean, I mean, you you got the point. If you don't do it that way, you're going to have to do it through flashbacks, which are a lot harder to right. do right. with, the, with broken chronology but you're you're definitely going to have to convey that information to the reader somehow otherwise we're not going to give a damn about this girl so and writing um, that stuff fair. will help will help flesh that out because i mean that's yeah. part of the discovery writing is you know you start writing characters and they start telling you no no i'm this or i'm that or or you know your creative juices start flowing 
and and you can find and discover even more about them as you go. Right. Right. The other, just a quick question: um, Why just young women? Yeah, that was okay. That goes way back to the original inspiration for this story. Okay. Which which was I mean it goes back to the actually I was browsing on tvtropes.org. If you have any of you heard of it? Oh yeah. Sure. I actually one of my great honors was when uh Control Point was uh <laughs> di- dissected on TV Tropes. There's a there's a there's a Shadow Ops TV trope. Oh man. That <laughs> so so yeah. So anyway, I was browsing on the the particular page which is the So You Want to Write page. And I was looking down this list of articles that they'd actually written of So You Want to Write and its different genres. And I said, well, I'll pick two genres that are totally different from each other. And I picked cyberpunk, which is like, you know, the which, and then I, I don't know why, but they blended obviously a lot by now. Picked the cyberpunk setting, and then I picked the magical girl setting, which I know nothing about, especially at the time I knew nothing about it. And that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, so you could still have a magical girl and not limit the dreamers to just females. I, True. I, you know, I, I, I can kind of, you know, reinforcing back what Mike said way at the beginning of the workshop where, uh, uh, you know, setting up this polarity between Rem's life in the real world and life in the dreaming world. You know, you can have uh, a, a wonderful love triangle uh, between a young male dreamer uh, uh, and, you know, in, in the dream world, it's an amazing thing. And they always go off to these fantastical landscapes and yada, yada. Uh, and then in the real world, you can have, you know, a, a dream technician who doesn't dream, but is always there helping her in and out of the dream world, blah, blah, ooh, blah. Ooh, ooh, go, ooh. I got go. a great idea. And yes. it's totally, it's, did you read uh, Ernie Klein's Ready Player One? No, I did I, not, but I've heard right. about it. Holy crap. So all of you are fired. Okay. Sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Greatest work of science fiction in the last 20 years. It's fantastic. Um, so anyway, go read it. But one of the things that it covers, and this is a real phenomenon among modern youth, if, which is going to be your audience if you're writing you know, YA here, is that, is that the virtual identity versus the physical identity, that you have these people that are flirting online and developing romances online, and then they get scared when it's time to actually meet because their avatars – don't represent the way they, you know, whether well, they're ugly in real life or they're overweight in real life or they're awkward in real life. But in, in the in the avatar, uh, in the virtual world, they're, you know, they're Casanovas. So you have a great opportunity here to have her, you know, because she's such a hot shot in the dream world to fall in love with someone or meet someone and establish a romance with them in the dream world and then be worried about meeting them in real life because they're, you know, what if he doesn't like me? And that is a awesome, awesome source of tension. Very, yeah. very true to life. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's a great cool. idea. I love it. Love Definitely. it. Yeah, Very yeah. cool. And, and by the way, look, no ideas I have are my own. You realize that, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, None I of us have it. that. I, so that was totally ripped off of Ernie Klein. So. Absolutely. Still, great writers borrow. That's no, right. Great, yeah, good writers borrow. Great writers steal. Yeah, well. It works. It works. Yeah, I mean, I that's what that's that, and that's what we're doing. We're tossing out ideas, seeing how the whole creative process is taking old ideas and reassembling them in a new way. And yeah. this this venue that you've created, the dream world, has that. I think. So, gents, I'm looking at the time. I'm looking at us winding down. So, I'd like to go yeah. once more around the table and and let's just fill Tim's pockets with some last minute thoughts, uh, ideas, words of wisdom, and and stuff to to send him off to to do the work that needs to be done to make this story real. Mike, go ahead and start us off, man. I, I want to reiterate what Dave just said: is do the work. Uh, Tim, you have a great idea. The you the core thing that makes a person able to write, which is the sort of font of of the, 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 the dramatic sensibility, it's clear you've got it. 
Um, so sit down, you know, outline the issues that you have here. Um, it's going to suck, you know, make time for it and do it. Um, because I think there's plenty of people who, who do it and don't have the, the baseline creativity that you clearly have. Um, just keep going. Yeah. 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 Brian, what do you got, man? Yeah, no, I, I, I would second that. And I th- I, j- I also wanted to throw in out the mostly girls thing. I think that it could work, um, especially if it's based off of maturity and when the, the characters mature and maybe that's when they find their their ability. And then you could have the awkward boy that matured early and that could be kind of an interesting character to throw in, um, especially since she's dealing with having been touched by a nightmare. Maybe if you go in that direction and then he's dealing with – having been thrown in with a bunch of girls because he didn't mature with, you know, with the other boys. I don't know. There's just some really cool ways that you could go with that, that, that would appeal to a younger audience. Um, since that, that was your sort of your target was the YA. Um, but I, you know, just a second, what Mike said, I think it, it, it's a great sounding story. You have already done a lot of the, the front loading creativity. And of all of the things that we've said here, um, you don't have to use any of them. But, you know, I, I think that you have a lot to work with and I'm really excited to see what you do with it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Definitely. And, and for myself, Tim, um, definitely echoing all of that wisdom uh, uh, and, and also uh, drawing your attention to the notion of dreams. Uh, uh, the, what are dreams? Uh, and, and, and not thinking it necessarily turn in terms of physics, although ultimately that's what this world is about. It's about translating these very ephemeral iconic archetypal supernal concepts and funneling them down into raw energy which is crass and and crude and vile i mean literally it's turning dreams into crude oil which you know which which is you know wow what a fabulous technology but by the same token is it is it really i mean it saves the world and and you know that might but be it, something, but at what cost? It, but at what cost? Exactly. Um, and and I'm wondering if if maybe that's part of Michael Vane's your bad guys uh, 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 deal is that I don't know. One one thing I was thinking of was like um, a, a lot of the nightmares that they're 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 dealing with now are new. Uh, they haven't run into these nightmares before. And you talked about uh, uh, illegally modifying people. Um, what, what if what if the bad guy is taking infants and wiring them into the dreaming right away before they've formed their personalities? And and the natural result is this very powerful power source, but it's also generating these powerful dreams, these evil dreams. I don't know. Um, I also love the the notion of AI's dreaming. I think that's got a lot of legs too, but I, we never had a chance to really explore it. Um, but God, there's so much here. Um, but the dreams, the, the, the notion of, of Rem's journey, uh, drawing her ever more into the dreaming, deeper into the dreaming, only to find at the other side that the answer is in the real world. And, and I, again, going back to Mike's initial thing that the ultimate resolution needs to be without dream power, whatever that might be, uh, uh, bringing her back out and letting her strength be there, I think will make for the strongest message and the strongest sense of duty, whatever that is, uh, 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 to, to really cap off the story. So God, so much to do and, and tell a longer story. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Tim, dude, th- this has been great fun. You know, w- at whatever point you've brought this story to us, uh, uh, you've given us the opportunity to play in your playground for a while. And I know that's never easy. 
and and we are so grateful that you did so. Thank you, sir, very much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Now, the deal is, Tim, that that when this thing gets written, when you've fleshed it out and worked out those details, put in that work and evolved this tale, and you've published it, it's EPUB, it's Big Five, it's, it's podcast, what the heck ever, you come back and we will go into the dream realm and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table of the dreaming realm. <laughs> that's the deal that's the character oh it sounds fight. good to me <laughs> that's gonna I'm, i don't know how i'm gonna do the sound effects for that but it's gonna be awesome it'll be badass <laughs> that'll so, be fun yes indeed yeah. um and and mike dude thank you so much as always you bring uh, a, a strong storyteller's vision uh, uh to the discussion uh and and kept us focused on some very key and important points and really threw out some some stuff that we could all glom on to this is this Absolutely. is why this is why we bring on professional writers onto our show that was a gr- yeah, so. great deal of fun it's 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 always exciting to to see someone promising so i'm really 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 a pleasure absolutely absolutely yeah. couldn't agree yeah. more so very cool. Yeah, and as thanks, long Mike. as long as we're slinging gratitude, friends, thank you for hitting that play button. As always, um, uh, you can always uh, swing out to iTunes. Just let people know about us. However you choose to do that, uh, send them to our website, uh, roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, you know, when we post this up, everyone has been really cool about putting their comments and their ideas up into the comment thread on the post, which just continues the discussion. And that is awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. Feel free to chime in here. And Tim, I guarantee you, check back once this episode goes up because there will be <laughs> comments on this sucker. Uh, badassery. Um, follow us on Twitter at Writers Podcast. Brian is at Brian Humphrey. Uh, that's I O, not Y A, even though this was a Y A story, but Brian is so <laughs> not Y A. Um, no, no. And uh, uh, in general, just oh, wow. See, I'm already, I'm spent. I'm sitting here going, God, what a great storytelling experience. And yet, this is just one chapter in the Roundtable podcast, dear friends. In a couple of days, the awesomeness continues. More awesome guest hosts bringing their wisdom. More courageous, creative and courageous. Courageous guest writers bringing their stories for brainstorming and workshopping. More Roundtable awesomeness, more literary gold. <sighs> Brian, how are you doing, man? Any, any closing thoughts as we take this home? Yeah, yeah. I would say manifest your awesomeness obliterate the nightmares that are holding you back and go right dude yes absolutely could not possibly agree more and and i will tell you that you find what you're looking for whether it's in the dream realm or in the real world uh if you set your sights on the blue label top shelf goodness dear friends you will find it i promise Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned in a couple of days. It all starts all over again. Until then, you guys be cool, stay frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable podcast, 
please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.